0: Hey everybody, John Fenn, Church Without Walls International, CWOWI.org. dot uh, Don't fast forward yet because, you know, I spend the first minute talking about house church and house church network and everything like that, but i rarely on these you know, visits do I go into any detail about a house church and what it's about. So I'm going to do that today. Uh, yes, our website is C-W-O-W-I dot We are a house church network. The early church. If I could explain the way the early church was and, and our pattern with it, and and tell you about it, about because house church needs to be safe. House church is is having people in your home, so they need to be uh, they need to be people that you would invite into your home, and various things like that. But I want to talk about the nature of it real quick, and then we'll we'll get into some of the practical. But real quickly, house church did not start because of persecution. And house church doesn't exist because of persecution. House church started as actually part of a synagogue movement. And I'll give you very briefly that a couple hundred years before Jesus was born, or 150 years, the synagogue system was born. It came about because the leaders of Israel realized they needed some sort of an education system for their people, because God had only prescribed that they attend the temple three times a year. And that's in like Deuteronomy 16, 16, and a couple other places in Exodus, three times a year. So imagine if, if you just, the only knowledge that you had of God, you derived at Christmas, Easter, and your mother's birthday or something three times a year, and you had no Bible, you had no other means of, of knowing anything. So they realized that, that this three times a year, they were they were losing their faith. So they started, they realized that they could meet on, on Saturdays, on the Sabbath day, and they made a determination that up to 10 families, or that, excuse me, 10 families could get together, and those would be adult males, actually. So that would be any boys 13 years and up were counted as an adult male. So as long as you had 10 males, age 13 and up, you would gather as families and, and meet on Saturdays. And they would meet, and then the re- religious leaders made copies of the Laws of Moses, and they would... Uh, share those scrolls. They would walk around to house to house where they would meet and they would share the scrolls. So you had these family gatherings all over Israel with these leaders who would go around making copies of the scrolls and sharing God's word. And people got to share pretty soon. They had their own scriptures. And so the synagogue, the word synagogue just means gathering. And early on in Jesus' day as well, they were just in homes. That's where they met. Uh, the the buildings, just like the buildings called church, the buildings called synagogues, didn't come about until the dark ages, until, until hundreds of years later, uh, you know, in 400, 500, 600, 700, 800, you know, through there. But it, at first, the gatherings, the synagogues, the gatherings were in homes, sharing the word, and it was usually around a meal, or very often around a meal, and so that was the system that all the disciples of Jesus were used to. And so, where you see in the Gospels that he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, usually that would be in that would be in somebody's home, and usually a meal would be involved. And so, when uh, when Pentecost happened, the disciples just kept on with the synagogue system, meeting in homes. And and then as it grew and developed through the Roman Empire, they would continue to meet in homes. And in that day, they would have very common. They would have gatherings of people that, that they knew and they would it would be centered around a meal and they would share what's happening in life and such. So the the, the synagogue system uh, was quickly adapted into the Roman culture of meeting in homes, usually around a meal and they would share what the Lord had had was doing in them. But you've got to understand in modern times where we still follow that Acts 242, that they were in the apostles fellowship and teaching, food and prayer those three elements, breaking a bread in this context of Acts 2.42 is not talking about the Lord's Supper. It's just talking about food because that was the culture of the day. And and the Lord's Supper came out of and was a part of the larger meal that they would pause in the midst of, of their meal and, and, and have the Lord's Supper as part of that intimate gathering of friends in the faith, sharing what Jesus is doing in them. That's why Paul said, in First Corinthians fourteen twenty six, how is it, brethren, when you come together? Every one of you has a psalm, a doctrine, a revelation, tongues and interpretation. You know, it's sharing. There is a leader. There is somebody who has to to lead. Oftentimes, the host, and as was the custom in their day, uh, the host uh, or hostess of the of the meeting. And in that day, just like in our day, it doesn't matter male or female. We have record of a woman named Nymphas. Who was hosting the church in her house in Colossians 4:15. We have Lydia in Philippi. We have Priscilla and Aquila, husband-wife team, where she comes, she's mentioned first four out of the six times. And they're talking about how they hosted church in their home, first in Rome, and then when they moved later to Ephesus. And so, and so you have these people, men and women, together just hosting in their home. That was the custom of the day. We get all caught up in church and everything, and it's like it didn't resemble anything. Like church, it resembled a family get-together, a a block party, a, a neighborhood barbecue. I mean, it resembled that because they were getting together to share about what Jesus was doing in them, recognizing they were each living, breathing temples of God, having Christ in them, the hope of glory. And so when it comes into modern translation, what do we do? We have people that are in the four spheres of influence that the scripture mentions, a family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers. Family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers are the most common. These are people that you know, but there has but being in a home, it has to be safe, especially if there are children involved. So you don't want just some stranger off of the, you know, off of the grid or whatever coming to your home. It it is right and it's proper that you get to know them a little bit. Uh, in English, the word is vet, v e t t, or you vet them. And That is, you get to know them and make sure, because you're having someone in your home, you've got your personal belongings, perhaps children are involved as part of the house church, so you, you may not feel comfortable. And we've had many instances, many times, where somebody wants to bring somebody who's an addict on something, and whoever is hosting says, you know, I'm not comfortable with this person in the house, in my house, and that's okay. In that case, a person will meet with them and share exactly why. And and realize that a house has to be a house church has to be safe and secure. I was once called as an advisor to a house church, not part of our network, thankfully, but this house church was an independent house church. They weren't in fellowship or networked with anybody else. And they had two men in that house church who had a habit of prophesying to single women. These were middle-aged single men, and they would prophesy to single women, preferably their practice was, to get them alone in a room. And then they would have all sorts of just disgusting prophecy where the Lord would say something like to the woman, oh, my daughter, I love you, as the man would stroke her hair. You know, thus saith the Lord, I love you. So, and it just creeped the women out and, and they were told repeatedly uh, not to do that, but they persisted. I was called in to basically give them the backbone to kick these guys out because nobody has the right to violate your personal space, and and nobody has the right to, to violate your home uh, in that way. All things are done decently and in order. Decently means integrity and, and morality. And uh, so Paul, you know, even when Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, through the end of the chapter, he's talking about, about manners for being in a house. He's talking about Yeah, you know, taking turns. If you have a word, there's not an opportunity to give it, keep it to yourself. You haven't sent. Or if somebody has a word next to you, let, defer to them, let them give it first, and then you can take turns. And he says, anything you say, the prophets will judge. In other words, the other people present will judge that. So anything you say could be rejected. You may, you may say, you know, the the earth is a cube and, and somebody has the right to reject that and just say, you know, that's just not right. And, and so, you know, a house church is, is a gathering of friends and, peop- uh, and people on the same spiritual page, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that, that you have to swallow everything every that somebody says. It's a, it's a discussion. It's a study. And now we've got the written word and the Holy Spirit together. The Spirit and the Word will be in agreement. And you allow things to, to be discussed, but not to the point of contention, not to the point of argument. What I tell people is this, you leave your doctrinal differences at the door. You don't bring in your personal pet favorite doctrine and try to preach that or evangelize for that cause or for that teaching into the house church. House church is about who we have in common, which is Jesus Christ. We follow the pattern that started with the synagogue system that was followed through into the New Testament, where it was like a family gathering centered around food and family and and sharing what Christ is doing in your heart. And that's why we focus on him. We don't focus on differences. And it's, an, it's a learned skill for most people. Most people are not used to leading a small group. So somebody will, you know, we've had house churches that say, okay, we're going to start at, at 10, 10 o'clock in the morning. And at 11 o'clock in the morning, an hour later, they're still all chalking and jabbering and no, no, nothing's going on. Because it's a new skill for somebody to say at 10.30, Hey, I've got to call this meeting to order. I know everybody's talking and everything, but we need to get going on this. Glad everybody's here. And you start the meeting. That's a learned skill, but it's okay. We've had children lead house church meetings. We've had eight-year-olds uh, have something on their heart, uh, and 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 had had them lead uh, meetings. Very common. Teenagers very common as well, because we are all equal in Christ. We have different functions, different maturity levels. But if there is a child there or a teenager or somebody who says, hey, I've got this on my heart, I really want to share with people, then praise God for it. You know, let us all be blessed. The first time that happened, in my experience, was an eight-year-old and the parents emailed me, said, you know, she wants to lead uh, Sunday. Is that okay? We're hosting. Is that okay if she takes the lead? I said, sure, of course. And, and so she. the question was this. I want everybody to share your favorite miracle in the Gospels that Jesus did, and then also share the favorite miracle that he has done in your own life. And there were like 20, 21 of us there that that morning. We all went around in a big circle sharing each of those things. It was wonderful. And then around the meal, we had the Lord's Supper. It was intimate. It was warm. It was a blessing for everybody. So you follow life. I used to say, I, I would say this, in the old time, in the old way of doing things, in the old structure, we would build a structure and then try to breathe life into it. That is that we'd say, Hey, we're starting a bus ministry. Now we need volunteers. You know, you build the structure. Then you'd say, Okay, I need it. I need life. Somebody breathe life into it. Now that's not the way it is in house church. In, in, in a relationship based faith where we gather in homes to meet, you follow life. You look for life and you follow that life. And then you build just enough structure to facilitate that life so that when life changes, you can go in another direction. So you can have a, a sign up sheet, you know, for who's hosting you know, for the coming month, but if something happens or something changes, you can, you can adapt, follow the life, you follow that. So anyway, I'm just sharing a few things. It's things like this that you can find on our website uh, in the 10 question answer videos about house church in my book, Return of the First Church, which I wrote about my own transition and had to find the justification in scripture and in history for meeting in homes. And comparing the two models, if you will call it that—I don't like that—but the, the model of the auditorium versus the relationship-based church meeting in, in homes—and you know, like I say so often—if you're if you're watching this, you've watched this point, and you have not read Return of the First Church, if you will email me, I will send the PDF of that to you. My email is c w o w i. At AOL.com. C-W-O-W-I at AOL.com. So happy to share that with you and just share it here today. I've just shared a few things of the dynamics of, of a house church. And it really is, you become, it, it's like the first three months, everybody puts on their best church face. And then, uh, you know, you go in the three to six month range and personalities start to come out and clashes start to happen. And and uh, and then you make it through, if you make it through six to nine months there, and the, uh, then people start working through the personality differences. And then by a year, uh, everyone is a, is a unit. Everyone is, is family. And I'd I, I like to, Galatians 2.9 is very important to our network. Galatians 2.9 says that when Peter, James, and John, uh, the pillars of the church who seem to be pillars, Peter, James, and John saw what we were doing, Paul and Barnabas, they gave us the right hand of fellowship because they perceived the grace in us. Perceiving the grace is key. That is, if you look at what God is doing in their life, you can ignore the thing, the personality clashes, their background, and everything else, and you look for the grace. That's how you walk in love. You perceive the grace. What is God doing in your life? Love the grace. Love what the Lord is doing in them. That's how you can. That's how you can uh, can walk in love. So anyway. That is key to house church. You, you leave your your differences at the door and you just focus on who we have in common. You don't try to evangelize for your personal pet project or, or uh, favorite teaching or favorite doctrine or what you're into right now. You keep controversial things out. You focus on Jesus. House church has to be safe. No one has the right to violate your personal space by prophecy or anything else. You have the right to say no. You have the right to say, I don't agree. Uh, House church should be safe. You should have people in your home that you want to be in your home. And they should learn how to be good guests in your home. All right, visit CWOWI.org.